My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, That he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead I have called you friends, For everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. That's an interesting text to me. Of course, all texts of the New Testament, Old Testament, the Bible are interesting. But this text starts out, Jesus talking to his apostles, and the first thing he tells them is, he says, you need to be loving one another. You need to love one another. Not just like one another, but love one another. Pay attention to each other, to each other's problems and so forth. But then he says, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Then he reminds them, he said, I'm your friend. I'm not going to call you servants anymore. I'm going to call you friends. And then, of course, he, he makes another statement. This is the one I want to key on this morning. He said, you did not choose me. I chose you. Now that's very interesting to me. He said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And lastly, he said, uh, the last thing he said again to them was, uh, these things I command you, that you love one another. So he reminded them of that again. Now the thing I want to key on here, that of course there are several good and interesting thoughts that we could extract from this short interchange between Jesus and his twelve chosen men, uh, his charge to them to love one another, and the fact that uh, they were more, they had more responsibility, they, they should go out and bear some fruit. But the, the main thing that jumps out to me is when he said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Now that and that's going to hit us, should hit us, should have already hit you sometime in your life because if I'm looking out over the audience, I know that you've been chosen, that God chose you, that He made a selection. Now God has the right to choose. He has the right to make a choice. And He's always had that right because we are His creation. So when we think about being chosen, we think that that's a very special arrangement. Someone likes us and wants us and chooses us. Now, I know you know what I'm talking about when we talk about being chosen and how, how special it makes you feel. If you uh, have ever been chosen for some special project at school, you know how that feels. If you have ever been chosen by a popular child at school to be on their team, you know how that feels. If you've been trying to get on Facebook, with someone who's popular and they say they want to friend you, you know how that feels. So being chosen makes you feel like somebody thinks there's some value that you that you possess. There's some, some reason why they want you to be part of their life. Let's go back. God has made choices, always has made choices. Now it's not that people have chosen Him as much as He has chosen them. God chose, for instance, He chose a man by the name of Abraham. 
In Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1 through 3, it says, The Lord said unto Abram, that was his name before he was called Abraham, A-B-R-A-M. But anyway, he said unto Abram, Get out of your country and from your kindred, from your father's house, unto a land that I will show you. God actually reached down from heaven and he said to Abraham, he said, I have chosen you. I want you to do something for me. Abraham didn't choose God necessarily, but God chose him. And he said, I'll make you a great nation and I will bless you and I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless you and curse him that curses you and in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now that choice was going to be carried out. Now listen to this carefully. He didn't just choose Abraham. He chose Abraham's descendants. Get that. An ethnic choice. He said, I'm going to choose you and I'm choosing your family and your descendants. And that choice is going to be carried out through his offspring. That the blessing, he said, "I'm I'm going to bless those that bless you, and, and uh, I'm going to to uh, carry this blessing on down to the whole world through your family." That's basically what he's saying. He chose these people to bring Jesus, his son, to this earth. Now Moses explained this to them, to these people, the children of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, were the children of Israel, and when they got into Egyptian captivity and God brought them out of that captivity and brought them to the Mount Sinai, he explained to them the fact that they were a chosen people. Had to explain it. God wants you to do something for him. Okay, so in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 through 8, Moses is telling these people, he said, you're a holy people unto the Lord your God. In other words, God set you apart and chose you. And he said he's chosen you to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. But watch what he said. He said, the Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you're more in number than other people, because, but you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath he made to your fathers, the Lord brought you out with a high hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now Paul referred back to this instance when he was preaching to the church at Antioch of Pisidia in Acts thirteen seventeen. He said, the God of this people of Israel chose our fathers. Keep that in mind. God reached down from heaven and he said, okay, these are the people I want to do something special for me. I'm choosing them. He chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt with a high arm he brought them out of it. What an honor to be selected by God to do something on this earth. What a great honor that has to be. For it's the most noble purpose of all time and eternity to bring a descendant through him, through them, which was Jesus. They were chosen. They were told from the outset that their selection was based on their ethnicity because of who they were, because of their family connection to Abraham. And because of this high and noble destiny, they were to present themselves as worthy of their choice. God said, in order, for, in order for them to be worthy of that, God said, keep the commandments. 
So he said, here's the people I want to do something for me, but I want them to be special, so I want them to keep my commandments, to behave like they are chosen. Okay? They didn't listen. That's the point. That's the problem. They got it in their head. God chose us because we're, we're just special people. We're just good. There's something about us that's better than anybody else on earth. Something about us. We're more noble. We're stronger. We're mightier. We're better. We're smarter. We're faster. We're something. That's what they got in their head. It wasn't that God said, I chose you to do something for me. They're thinking, He chose me because I'm better than others. He chose them because of their ethnicity, because they were the descendants of Abraham, and that God had a job for them to perform. He chose them and said, I've got something for you to do. Now, sometimes your parents will come to you and say, I've chosen you to do the dishes tonight. Got a job for you to do, you see. I've chosen you, boy, to go go mow the lawn, go pick up the track, go do some of these chores. I've chosen you. Here was a job that God gave them to do. And he, he said, I want you to bring to this world my son and deliver him so that I can bless all nations. Special people. And Isaiah chapter 6 verse 9 tells us that Israel did not listen. He said, go and tell these people, hear indeed, but understand not, and see, but don't perceive. So Isaiah was told to go preach to these people, but they're not going to listen. And they're not going to understand. The Bible tells us that they didn't understand that. That they didn't get it. Every indication of the early days showed that they felt that they were entitled. They were entitled and entitled people. At times they appeared arrogant among their adversaries. So arrogant was they, they were that they thought that God was choosing them. They were so very, very special that, as a matter of fact, they thought, well, we, we can't do any wrong. And nothing bad will happen to us because God's on our side. And so they decided they, they could just take up anything they wanted to do and it would work out well for them because they were special. One time they got in a fight with the Philistines. The Philistines outnumbered them and were stronger than them, had more weapons than they had. But they said, God's on our side. We can push these guys around all we want. And the way they thought they'd do it was they they were going to bring the Ark of the Covenant. Remember, that's the the box that they had that they put the table of stone in and the rod that budded and the little pot of manna and so forth. They'll just get that and take it out into the battle with them, and they'll show them who's who's the best. And they took it out with them, and guess what? They lost it. A couple of fellows that were behind this was were the fellows by the name of uh, Hophni and uh, Phineas, and they they were the two sons of Eli the priest, and they weren't good boys. And because of that, they lost the ark because of their arrogance. It was taken. Now, the lesson didn't seem to sink in. They, they continued to believe that they were special and entitled to God's protection and provision even till the time of John the Baptist and Jesus. 
When they arrived on the scene, John the Baptist, the first rattled out of the box was, he said, you guys need to get yourself straightened out. You're not what you think you are. You need to repent. And when Jesus, the Son of God, appeared on the public circuit, he said, the first thing he said was, you, you've got it wrong. You need to get your act together. He said, repent. Well, they, they didn't like that. And the reason they didn't like it was because they thought they were special folks. They thought they were people that were above all other people, and they, they were beyond that. That God loved them regardless of how they behaved themselves. That God wanted them in his family regardless of what kind of dissonance they were. You see what I'm saying? They were thinking, we're the elite. We're, we're the ones. In John 8, verse 31, it says, Jesus said to the Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. You'll know the truth, the truth will make you free. Now that's a pretty good statement, isn't it? John 8, 32, we know that. You shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free. How did that impact these guys? They, these people were listening to it and they said, What? What are you talking about? We've never been in bondage to anybody. We're already free. We don't have anything to do. That's what they answered. They said, we're Abraham's seed. We're the children of Abraham. You remember? God made a promise to Abraham. He chose him. And he said, I choose his kids too. And you know what? We're his kids. So he chose us. We're okay. What are you telling us that we need to know the truth and that we need to be free? That can't apply to us because we are, we're already there. These people, they were called Jews, believed that there was something special about them simply because they're forefathers. Don't think that's too out there because people think that today. You know what this business of looking up your old relatives is all about. You know how people look up in, in the records of their family and their, their ancestors. They, they look up the log of who they came from because it makes them feel special. Oh, I have in my background someone who sat upon a throne at one time, and therefore I am, in fact, somebody because of my relatives. Well, this is, this is normal. This, this happened. And it certainly happened to them. They proclaim people sometimes, and it gets kind of childish at times, they, proclaim, they, they proclaim that, that they're, just, they're just better than anyone else because of their background, because of their skin color, because of their ethnicity, because of their heritage, because they're, they come from this particular part of the country or that particular part of the country. They're just better. But that, that's, of course, we know that this is, there's nothing to that. But these people thought that, of course, they did. And sometimes, even within a family, somebody stands up and says, well, mom loves me better. Dad loves me better. They love me more. And so they, they try to feed their ego in that particular context. And sometimes it just comes down to money. I've got more money than you do. I've got a better position than you have. And therefore, I, my ego lifts me up and tells me that I'm better than you. Now, God had a special job for Abraham. And so Abraham, you know, the point is Abraham wasn't better as an individual than anybody else. But he had he had something that God wanted. 
And what he wanted, of course, was the fact that Abraham had faith. And so when God spoke to him, Abraham responded to him. That didn't happen with the rest of his people. It happened to Abraham because Abraham was that type of an individual, Abraham and Sarah. But his descendants didn't always share that, did they? Well, they didn't. Paul said this in Romans chapter 9 at verse 1. He said, I say the truth in Christ. I don't lie. My conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Paul was upset. You know what he was upset about? His family. Upset about his family. He said, my family is not just not what they should be. He said, I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They're Israelites to whom pertains the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promise, whose are the fathers and of whom concerning the flesh Christ has come, who is over all God blessed forever and ever. He said, all of these things came upon them for one reason, in order to bring Jesus here. The task was to keep that family together, the family of Israel, until God could bring salvation to the world through his son. That was their job. That's why God chose them. He chose them to do that job. Now, in John 1 verse 11, it says he came to his own, came to his own family, Jesus did, and his own received him not. Well, what a disappointment. You, you ever think that God is ever disappointed in us? I know he is. I know he's been disappointed in me. I'm sure he's been disappointed in you as well. But he said, as many as received him, he said, there are some that did good, as many as have received him to give to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Okay. At this point, God's chosen people changed. They changed. At that point, and the change came when faith came. When people believed on Jesus Christ, then the business of choosing changed. The choice became that of those who have faith in Jesus Christ. These became his people. Not simply descendants of Abraham, but those in, who were descendants of Abraham who believed in Jesus were chosen as well as those who were not of the descendants of Abraham. Okay. In Ephesians chapter 1 at verse 3 through 7, and here's where it's going to get personal. Okay, here we go. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 7 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, according as he has chosen us. Now, friend, he's talking about you. Okay? Not about Israel as a nation. Not about an ethnicity. Not about a culture. Not about a nation. He's talking about you. Right here. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about you. You. He's chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame before him in love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will 
to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us acceptable in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. He chose you before you were ever born. You. Chose you. Individually. Yes. He chose you. Now, if you've got your Bible, or you've got your telephone, <laughs> turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, verse 28 through 30, because this is where it gets very important to you. Romans 8, 28 says, We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He did predestinate. What I'm telling you is that God knew that you were going to be here today, that you were going to be His chosen before you were ever born. Personally, He knew you. Know all about you. He did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, He called. Whom He called, He justified. Whom He justified, then He also glorified. If you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you believed, you were baptized in Jesus Christ, by baptism, baptized, rose to walk and lose life, it's because He chose you. He called you. You heard the gospel, and He knew you were going to do it. He knew that. He knew that before you were born. He knew all about you. He knows all about us before we were born. He predestinated. In other words, He made arrangements for you. He knew what you would do, so He got the gospel to you. How did it happen? I don't know. Some of you have some very interesting background in this, don't you? Mine's not that interesting. I grew up on the lap of my grandmother in a pew in the Church of Christ. And I heard the gospel from the time I was able to hear. You may be different. You may have come from a different background, and I'm sure you did. Somehow, God got someone to get in your ear with the gospel because He knew He wanted you. He chose you. He knew who you were. Now, don't think about somebody else. Think about yourself. How did that happen? He called you by the gospel. That's, that's how He called everybody. He knew you were out there. Okay. Now then, in verse 30 he said, Whom he did predestinate, he also called. Whom he called, he justified. Now, I've, I've got to, I'm going to tell you something just kind of off the track, off the beaten path. <laughs> Excuse me. Because I want to refer you back to something that's, that I think has become a big mistake in this area of predestination. There's a, there's a fellow by the name of John Calvin who, uh, in Geneva, Switzerland, and he lived in France in the early 16th century. He came up with a doctrine called uh, predestination in his concept, and he it was it's actually an there's an acronym that describes this. It's called TULIP, T U L I P. Now John Calvin said, and the Calvinism has grown through great proportions throughout the world. And it was part of the what was called the Protestant movement with the Roman Catholic Church, the restoration or the change of the Roman Catholic Church. Anyway, 
he, he, he had developed a doctrine that said this. He said, first of all, T means total depravity. When you're born, you're born completely rotten. You're just soaked in sin. That's his doctrine. Total depravity. You can't do anything good. You know as well as I do that that's not what the Bible teaches. That Jesus took little children and said, such is the kingdom of heaven. Also, he said, if you, if you enter into the kingdom of God, you've got to become like a little child. Totally rotten? No. Totally pure. So that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, an error, a major error in this. But he said, tulip, T was meant, meant uh, total depravity. You meant unconditional election. In other words, he chose you just because. Just because. Not because of who you are. Not because of what you did. Not because of your propensities. Nothing. He just said, eeny, meeny, miny, mo." Here's more. Okay? That's what he said. That's what he's teaching. Well, we know that's not true. We know that that can't. Well, anyway, let's go on. Unconditional election. Then the L stands for T-U-L, limited atonement. That when Jesus died, he only died for those that he chose before they were ever born on no condition. You see what we're saying? Limited atonement. He didn't die for the whole world. We know that's not true. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son who served believes him shall never perish have eternal life. He died for everybody. He died for you, me, everybody. He died for everybody outside the walls of this building. He died for the whole world. But Calvinism says no. Limited atonement was he died for those that were going to be that he chose before they were ever born without any consideration or anything. Now, the eye is irresistible grace. In other words, those who he chose can't help but go to heaven. That's it. When the gospel is presented to them, they can't say yes or no, they've got to go. It's like when your parents say, get on in there and brush your teeth. They can't stop it. They've got to do it. Well, that's the eye. And then the P is the preservation of the saints, which means once saved, always saved, you can't be lost. Well, that's, I just mentioned that as kind of an aside because that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is explained differently in the Bible. What we're talking about is the fact that, yes, God knew that you would be saved. He knew who you were. He knows you. He knew you. Just put that in your head. He knows you. And he knew that when he got the gospel to you, what you would do. He knew that exactly. Okay? So he gets the gospel to you, and what do you do? Can you say yes or no? Certainly you could. Whether God knew it or not is, is beside the point. The fact is, the gospel had to be gotten to you so that you could hear the call. Whom he loved, them he also called. And Second Thessalonians 2.14 says he calls us by the gospel. That's how he calls. You're going to hear his voice. Sometimes people over a period of time used to think, well, I I've got my calling. What do you mean you've got your calling? Well, I fell out of a truck the other day and rolled down the side of the highway and it didn't kill me. So I thought, I better, I better get my life right. And they call that a calling. Another one says, well, I lived through a disaster. And every home in the 
country was torn down by a tornado, but mine wasn't. God was telling me something. Now, the way God calls you, the Bible says, is through the gospel. So, you've got to hear the gospel to be called. It, uh, it, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, it says, In the dispensation of the fullness of times, he gathered together and won all things in Christ, both in heaven which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him that works all things to the counsel of his will. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom also you also trusted. After that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also you believe, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. He calls his elect by the gospel, and if you're the elect, you heard the gospel, you will respond to it. He knew who you were, and he chose you. But that doesn't mean you couldn't reject it. It just means that you're given that opportunity. He sanctifies it. Hebrews 13, verse 12, we're sanctified by His blood. We're justified by faith. Romans 5, verse 1. We are chosen because God is no respecter of persons. He chose us the way He chose everybody else in the world. The same choosing method. He's not going to choose one by tearing up the whole country and leaving His house in the midst of a tornado and not do you that way because he's no respecter person. If he calls you by the gospel, he'll call you by the gospel. He'll call everybody the same way. Same thing, same idea. The fact that he knows who you are and what response you will make toward his son does not mitigate against the reality that he chooses not only by type but also specifically. So obviously... If you're the type of person that's not going to respond to the gospel, God's not going to choose you. Simple. That's type. Specifically, He does know that you will. Specifically. So He sends the gospel to you. Okay? That's like when, when we get the parable of the seed and the sower. The, the man goes out to sow seed in his field. He drops some by the wayside and the birds come along and eat it. He drops some among the thorns and some of it grows up and then disappears again. But he drops some in the good ground. He says the good ground is the good heart. So God knows you have a good heart, so he presents the gospel to you. How? Well, like I said, we've all got a different background. It's the same gospel, however. But some, somehow, they get your aged mother or grandmother. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's an enemy that tells you about the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever it is, we've been called in that way. He chooses us by type, sort of, but He also chooses us because we're predisposed to faith and obedience, and He knows that. He chooses individuals. Think about it now. I'm going to take you right back to that text we started out with. Jesus told the apostles, you did not choose me. I chose you. So that's where it's going to get us right now. That's, that's where it's taking us right now. He, choose, he has chosen you. Now, that's where I'm going to ask you to do some thinking. What did he see in you that he saw of value? What did he see in you 
Think about yourself. Don't think about me. What did he see in you that he wanted you? Why did he want you? What purpose did he have in mind for you? You ever thought about that? What does God want me want with me? He chose you. You're here. You've been chosen. Now ask yourself those hard questions. What can you do for him that nobody else can do? What can you do for him? You ever think about that? What does God want? Why did he choose me? And what does he have in mind for me? What advantage do I bring to God's team? He's choosing a team. His church. What can I do for God's team? Am I, maybe I'm a finger. He needs a finger on his team. Maybe he needs an ear. Remember, that's the body of Christ. Church is the body. Does he need a nose? What does he need on his team that, that, I, can, that I can do? Does he want me to do something on his team for his people? Do I have anything distinct that I can offer to God? What, what can I do specifically? Can he use me in any good way? Can he use me to guide someone else that may be lost in this life, in this world? Is that what he wants me to do? Where do I fit in? Why does God, why did God choose me? And he did. He chose you. He chose you. He's got something in mind for you. Something to do. Something to be. Someone to be. He has. He is. Did, did he bring you, did he choose you to bring peace into somebody's troubled life? Surely he didn't bring, choose you to bring trouble into somebody's peaceful life. Right? He didn't choose you and say, hey, go, go stir up something. Go make somebody unhappy. Go tell somebody something that'll, that'll disturb them and hurt their feelings. He didn't choose you to do that, surely. But he chose you to maybe make peace, to help someone get along. Maybe to help lift someone up who's depressed. Someone that, that feels like they're, they're worthless or nobody loves them, nobody cares for them. What, why did God choose you? Maybe to show somebody the direction out of their troubled life. Does he want you to be a good person? Let's let's say, does he want you in the midst of a whole bunch of evil people to be a good person? You know, God did choose somebody like that one time. He chose a fellow by the name of Noah. Noah was all by himself. He chose another man by the name of Lot. Lot was all by himself. He was in the midst of a, of a very wicked society. All by himself. God chose him. So here's what I want you to do, Noah. I want you to save the whole world. I want you to save humanity, restore humanity. I want to put you on a boat and get you out of here. He chose Noah because Noah would do what he wanted him to do because Noah had faith. We read that in Hebrews chapter 11. Why did he choose Lot? Lot was in the midst of a... And the Bible says he troubled himself in the midst of evil people. He was troubled, disturbed, but he was there. God got him out of that mess. 
But he was there because he was probably a good influence, as good as he could be, in Sodom and Gomorrah. You, you wonder, well, what am I doing here? Maybe God wants you to be a good influence on evil people. That's hard, hard to deny, isn't it? Does he want you maybe to hold up a light to his word and say, here's, here's the way out. Here's the, here's the light in the darkness. Maybe he just wants you to be a quiet and respectful person in a troubled world. A world full of sin. Just be assured of this. God knows why he chose you. You, you probably don't know. I'll tell you, if you're like me, and I hope most of you aren't like me, but if you are like me in this sense, I often ask myself the question, what does God want with me? What does he want me to do? What use does he have me in this life? I ask myself that and I think, <laughs> well, he's going to show me sooner or later. He's going to show me. And he's going to show you. Sooner or later, he's going to show you why he wanted you. Specifically, he wanted you. Just be ready. Be ready to stand up and say, Here am I, Lord. Use me. Let's stand and sing our song of invitation. <laughs>